grab a seat, and as you do, grab a Bible and get it on your lap, turn it to Acts chapter 1. No, I'm not joking. (laughs) Yes, we are starting over from the beginning. (laughs) Acts chapter 1, from the top. Um, and while you, while you turn there, there's a, there's, I, love, I love starting questions with these two words, what if. I think that's so much fun. I think it's so exciting to ask what if questions. I think what if questions are so powerful. I think when you think about, you look at history and you think about some of the greatest inventions ever invented, you, th- you think about some of the greatest innovations that have ever hit history, it started because people were willing to ask, what if? Think of the Wright brothers. They said, what if we could fly? Can you imagine? Like, I'm not that crazy. Like, hey, bro, you want to build and then fly it through the air? I was sitting at the the, uh, airport waiting to pick Erica up, um, and uh, I was just watching the planes flying in and flying out, and I was just sitting there thinking, what if the Wright brothers would be sitting, like, what would they think watching all of these planes go in and out? Adam Morrison, who works in aviation, he said, they would have said, I told you so. And I loved that. What, they said, what if we could fly? Uh, I think of Henry Ford, who not only asked the question, what if we could have cars? His question was beyond that. He said, what if we could produce cars at such a cost that every working family could have a car? Like one day you'll drive down the road and like every driveway will have a car in it. Uh, Bill Gates asked a question, I think around 1980, and he said, what if, what if there could be a computer on every desk and in every house? And like coming out of an era where, I don't know my computer history too well, but coming out of an era where like computers filled like an entire room, right? It's a massive, massive question. What if? The power of asking what-if questions. And I start with that because um, we, if you're just joining us, we've been on about a ten and a half month journey through the book of Acts. And last week we came to read the very last words of Acts together. We studied the last chapter. And um, I think, you know, there's, there's, um, there's a high likelihood that hopefully after ten and a half months of studying a book of the Bible, we have a better understanding of that book We understand hopefully a little better about what it means and what it says. But I think the great danger for us is that we'll we'll close the book on it literally and then we'll move forward and it's like, what's the application we're supposed to walk away from? Like, how, how does this change the way we live? How does this change something in the life of our church. And so um, today and next Sunday, I just want to ask two what-if questions. And they're two what-if questions that surround some, some powerful and common themes that we see threaded through the entire book of Acts. So this Sunday, we're going to ask the question, what if we witnessed? And then next Sunday, we're going to ask the question, what if we prayed? Uh, but I want to start just with the first question for us this morning, and it's this, what if we witnessed? Like, what if we as Jesus followers really witnessed? And I had us turn um, to the very first page of the book of Acts because um, Acts 1, verse 8, is the theme verse for the entire book. And um, it says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of 
the earth. And so what we've been studying for the last 10 10 and a half months is um, the work of the Holy Spirit to empower Jesus' followers to go into all of the world and to bear witness that a Savior has come and he's come to save the entire world of their sin. And like, uh, like as I was studying it this week, it was just this, this, um, this fear, um, this good fear, this, this burden that we could spend 10 and a half months studying the book of Acts and we could walk away from it, not, even, not any better equipped to witness for Jesus Christ than when we started. And that'd be a big, that'd be a big miss and a big failure. And so I just want to spend some time today um, looking at this theme of witness. What does it mean to be a witness for Jesus Christ? Why should we be encouraged that we have power to actually do that? Uh, What's at stake if we begin to live a life of witness? And um, we're just going to let God's word, I hope, speak to us as we uh, flip some pages in Acts today. We're not used to that at our church. Normally we kind of camp out right where we're at, but we're going to flip some pages through the book of Acts and um, just look at these things. Three reminders, three reminders that I hope will motivate us for a life of witness. And so pray with me and let's uh, let God's word speak. God, um, we do want your word to speak. Lord, the word that you put on my uh, mind and in my heart early this morning was to yield and um, Lord, we want to yield right now to your word. Um, Lord, we're better, I'm better at kind of driving an agenda or, um, you know, going through all my prep and delivering what I've prepped. And Lord, I just want to yield. And I want um, you to say what you want said through this. And Lord, I pray for all of our hearts in here that we would yield to what your spirit is speaking through your word into our hearts this morning. Um, God, I just pray that as we, even as the worship set kind of set us up for this and we just cleared the stage and we just got focused on you, God, as your word goes forth today, Lord, would you, would, would we just focus on you? Would we listen to what you're saying to us through it? And then, Lord, there's the word. I just pray we'd obey. God, help us obey. Lord, we don't want to be a people that we study your word just to become theological fatheads. We want to be obedient. We want to exercise out that which your word is teaching us, God. Yes, we must teach sound doctrine. Yes, we must uh, look at the original language and see how sentences are structured. But Lord, then let that doctrine drive us to living Lord, let your word live in our life. And so, God, help us as we study how we can be faithful witnesses today, Lord. Would you equip us to obey as we walk out of here today? In Jesus' name, amen. Three reminders that I pray today will motivate us for a life of witness. And I want to just give you uh, the first one right up front. The first reminder is this. The Holy Spirit gives me power to witness. The Holy Spirit gives me power to witness. And I want you to look in your Bibles at uh, that very verse I've already recited to us. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But I want you to see this with your own eyes. And it says this. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And now it's important that we understand who the you is in this passage. 
Jesus is speaking here to the apostles. They have, they have a unique perspective as witnesses. If the definition we've used throughout our study of the book of Acts is this, a witness is to boldly share what we have seen and heard. The apostles had a unique vantage point of sharing what they had seen and what they'd heard as they walked with Jesus physically on this earth while Jesus was here. And so um, Jesus, before his ascension, he looks at them and he says, listen, you're going to receive power. How? The Holy Spirit's going to come upon you and then you're going to witness. You're going to boldly, lovingly proclaim all that you've seen and that you've heard. And this witness is going to start in a central area of Jerusalem and it's going to work its way out. It's going to be this worldwide witness. And the apostles here have a unique vantage point as witnesses. But then the apostles uh, died. And with the death of the apostles did not come the death of witness. That God has called all of his people, his followers, to be witnesses for Jesus Christ. And here's the really cool thing. You're going, well, I didn't walk with him. If, if being a witness is to boldly share what we have seen and heard, I didn't get to walk with him physically the three years of his ministry while he was here. It's better than that. When he ascended, he sent his spirit and his spirit dwells inside of every heart who is in Christ in this room. That when Jesus calls us as his followers to testify, to witness of what we have seen and heard, we get to tell other people of, of his indwelling spirit inside of us and the, 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 the effects that that has had. We get to speak about who Jesus is. Why? Because we know him. We don't just know facts about him. We don't just study this book so that we can know Jesus like we would know about some other historical figure. We can know about him through the study of history, but we know him personally because his spirit dwells right inside of us. And then we walk out and we witness to that. This fruit of his spirit, he fills us with love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. And I'm about to lose patience with my microphone right now. And he fills us with those things. And those are things that all of this earth is, all of, everyone who walks on this earth is just like hungering to know. And he calls us at his followers, go out and witness Go out and boldly share what you have seen and what you have heard in me. And here's what is so, so neat. He has given us power to do that. So his spirit, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. His spirit indwells us the moment that we trust Jesus Christ. And then his spirit comes on us in power and equips us for witness. And I just want to talk about four ways the spirit gives us power to witness. Because I think we need to hear this. We need to, we need to just kind of slow the throttle down and really understand that the Holy Spirit has given us power to witness. Why? Because it's so hard for us to be obedient in telling other people about Jesus Christ because it, it, we get nervous about that. We're uneasy about that. And we just need to kind of slow down and go, how does the Spirit give us power to witness? Number one is this. It burdens us with a love for the lost. Here's the deal. Let's just be transparent and uh, kind of speak frank with each other. Until we have a burden for the lost, we'll never live a life of witness. 
Like my, my greatest fear with messages like this is that we're going to preach the witness message and then everyone's going to be like, God, one of the, God's, the ways God has wired me is to be an exhorter. And so like I can stand up here and give the locker room pep talk, witness! And everyone can be like, yeah! And then we'll go out and do it and we'll check the box and then we'll go on to whatever the topic of the sermon is next week and then we'll go out and do it and we'll check the box and we'll go on to the topic of the sermon next week and on and on and on and on and on. But there's something about when the Spirit of God dwells inside of us where he begins to unify our heart for what's on his heart. And he begins us to give us passions for what he's passionate about. And um, um, we all know this. God is passionate about the saving of lost people. And so what happens is as his Spirit and, uh, indwells us and empowers us. He gives us a burden to love lost people. And then, uh, secondly, what the Spirit will then do, he'll prompt our hearts. What do I mean by that? As the Spirit prompts our hearts, he'll put people on our heart. Um, He will put us in situations where, in spur of the moment things, a waiter who walks up to the table and you go, what can I pray for? And that question leads to a five-minute conversation, which leads to, uh, can I refill your water? Which leads to, can I tell you about Jesus? You're like, no one does that. Oh, people do that. And it's beautiful. When the Holy Spirit prompts our hearts and he lays specific people on our hearts and he says, go witness, go witness, go witness. When he puts us in specific situations with total strangers and he says, witness. It's a beautiful thing that the Spirit does to prompt our hearts in this regard. Third, then, with the prompting comes the empowering of our mouths. And here's where I think is the biggest hang-up of why we don't witness. You're like, what do I say? I don't know what to say. Like, I don't, I don't want to be the weirdo in the coffee shop. Like, what do I say? Like, if there's one thing that we can just walk out of here and rest assured with, like, if we will be faithful and obedient to witness, the Spirit of God will lead us with what to say. And it doesn't have to be like this beautiful, polished. Here's why. Because the power is, doesn't rest in us. And it doesn't rest in our polished um, gospel presentation. You know where the power rests? Um, make the gospel known. Make it clear. And watch the Spirit of God do an unbelievable work in the heart of those people. Because the power rests on him to save hearts. Like, we can't regenerate hearts. The only thing we can do is just witness. And God must regenerate hearts. And so as we're faithful to witness, don't worry about the polished nature of it. Don't worry about if it's perfect. Just tell them of Jesus and see what the Spirit of God does with that. And then I almost moved on, and it was almost three ways the Spirit gives us power to witness. But I think this fourth way is important. Um, The Spirit empowers our lives. He helps us live out what it means to follow Jesus. Not perfectly. We, we carry into this walk with Jesus what I always call a sin hangover. And sin still rears its ugly heads at times in our life. But the Spirit of God doesn't dwell us and he doesn't empower us and he does give us the fruit of the Spirit that flows out of our life in such a way that after we've witnessed with our mouths and we've told other people of Jesus Christ, there's a way that we then walk with Jesus that substantiates this witness with our mouth. Amen? Like that's, a, that's an important part of the witness thing 
It's real easy to talk the talk. It can be a bit more difficult to walk the walk. And that's where the Holy Spirit helps us in this. And so, I, I just don't want us to spend 10 months studying this book that is all about the Spirit giving power to witness and then for us to not be any better equipped to go out and witness. And so, we have power. The Spirit's given us power. We know what we're called to do. And so, just very, like very pointedly, the application on this point is, is um, how and who. How are we going to witness and who are we going to witness to? And I just want to help us with this how thing. Here's a road, what I'm calling a roadmap for witness. Uh, very simply, as you're trying to figure out, what do I say? How do I witness to other people about Jesus Christ? Start with this. Just share what Christ has done. I, I mean, tell them, like, all of us have been affected by this sin thing, and it has separated us from a relationship with God. But there's good news that Jesus has come, and he stood in the gap of that sin. And he's paid the penalty that all of us deserved for that sin. Out of the love for us, he came and he died on the cross. Start by just sharing what Christ has done and then share what Christ has done in me. This very message that I just told you of, that I was separated from God in sin, I want to tell you about that. For 18 years of my life, I grew up in the church. I knew church answers. I knew how to look like a Christian. If you would have asked me at 16, 17, I would have said I was a Christian. And then I went off to college, and everything was stripped away, and Jesus Christ and his love for me overwhelmed me in this big open dorm of my first couple weeks of college, and he called me to himself, and he said to me, say what Christ has done in yourself, and then look at them and share what Christ offers to them or share what Christ offers to you and plead with them in love of what Christ offers to them. How do, we, how do we do that? Just begin, what has Christ done? What's he done for yourself? What's he done for the people that you're looking at? And then that's the how. How about the who? I mean, very, very, trans- this who, this week. Who are you going to share Christ with this week? Who's a name that the Spirit of God puts on your heart this week? A mom, a dad, a son, a daughter, a brother, a sister, a close friend, a coworker. Maybe it's someone you've already shared the gospel with and it's been met with um, kind of a brick wall up to this point and you're you're, you're wrestling even right now with, well, do I do it again? Does that harden their heart more if I keep sharing with it? Maybe, maybe this is the week of softness in their heart. But who, like very transparently, and like I'm just pleading with us as a church as we meet in small groups this week, that someone, like who's going to be the, the, the man or the woman who says, oh, no, no, we can't leave here without getting to who are you sharing the gospel with this week? Like, and someone, and everyone's going to go, oh, man, I thought we were almost out. And someone's going to be that man and that woman to say, like, how are we going to be obedient to this this week? Who? And maybe God brings no one specific on your mind, but it's going to be a random stranger. And we got to remember this. The win for us is just in the witness. 
We can't control the outcome. We can't control their response. That's God's work to do in their heart. The win is in the witness. It's what he's called us to. It's what we're called to be faithful to. It's what we're called to be obedient to. Who will we witness to this week? And if we've already made the decision in our heart, yeah, I'm not doing it. Like, we got to ask ourselves, why? Why not? Why not? What do we have to lose? Who will we witness to this week? Now, I want you to take your Bible and I want you to flip a couple pages to the right to Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10, verse 44. Because if this, this whole power of the what if questions, right? What if we began to witness? Um, I want to build on that. What, what if that would what if that could completely change the world? Now, I, I know what we're thinking, unless you're in college, because when you're in college, you really do actually believe the world can still be changed, right? And then we get old, and we get cynical, and we stop believing that. And even like some of you, as I preach this right now, like, and I say, what if the world could really be changed? We're going like, yeah, that's idealistic thinking. What if this was Jesus' whole model? That like his followers would just simply witness to other people and then disciple them? And what if this thing was supposed to spread across the world? Acts 1.8 said, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem. And then it'll spread out from there. And you'll be my witnesses in Judea and Samaria. And then you'll be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. And I think, I bet as uh, Jesus' early followers heard this from their Jewish background, they went, hold on. I get Jerusalem, I get Jerusalem, I get Judea, can you clarify Samaria for me? Because Samaritans to Jews were half-breeds. Like, well, no, no, this is a message about the Messiah coming. You, you, Jesus, tell me you mean the Messiah for the Jewish people. He goes, no, you're going to go witness in Samaria, Samaria to the quote-unquote half-breeds. And then he got even more radical, and he says, and this witness is going to carry out to the ends of the earth. Okay, hold on. Can you clarify that? Do you mean the, just the Jews living in different parts of the world? He goes, no, I mean Jew and Gentile, Jew and non-Jew, that a Savior has come for the world. This was a massive theme in the book of Acts, that this gospel, this good news, wasn't um, solely a Jewish thing. That a Savior had come, and he's the Savior of the world, Jew and Gentile. Um, That Jesus has the power to save regardless of cultural designation and racial association and geographic location. He's the Savior of the world, period. That's why the scripture foreshadows one day that there's going to be a day when every tribe and every tongue and every language, and, and we're going to be worshiping Jesus, and we're going to look like American Westerners, and there's going to be people with their cultural garb on, and there's going to be the worship sung in all of these languages, and it's going to be awesome. It's going to be awesome. 
And if you've ever had a chance to worship cross-culturally as, you, as, cross-culturally as you're worshiping in English and they're worshiping in their native tongue and you're dressed like an American and they're dressed like they dress in their culture and you're going, he is God of all. And Jesus has come to save. And it's this massive, this massive unpacking in the book of Acts that Jesus is not just a Jewish Messiah. He's that, yes, and the whole world. And this was, this was uh, remember as we got to Acts chapter 10 and Peter has a vision. He, he gets tired. He said, I'm, I want to take a nap. And he goes, he goes to bed or he takes a nap hungry. And he's sleeping on the top of the roof and there's this crazy vision of like a sheet being lowered and on it are all these animals and they'd be unclean animals. And, and it says, rise, Peter, kill and eat. And he's like, by no means, Lord, no, like there's unclean animals on this. And then he wakes up from the nap and he's like, what was that all about? And down at the door, there's a knock, and hey, we're here, we're looking for this Simon Peter, and he's summoned to go, and he walks into Cornelius' house over in Caesarea, a Gentile, and he begins to preach the gospel to these Gentiles, and what happens? Acts 10, verse 44. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on who? Even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the, name of the, uh, in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. Mass- I mean, massive moment in the history of the early church. As these people realize that Jesus has come to save every tribe, every tongue, every language. This was more than just a Jewish thing. Now, um, back to our second point here. We need to understand that I'm part of a worldwide witness to all people. Like, we get this awesome privilege from God to be a part of a worldwide movement to all people. Telling them that there's hope in a Savior that has come. Now, Back to this whole point of can we really change the world? Um, I just want to show us something here. That what if we really, again, to our question, what if we really did begin to witness? And um, we, this this next year, we're coming up to the flip of a calendar, a new year, 2019. What if we said in 2019, we're going to ask God to show us who is ripe for the gospel who he's calling to himself, and we witness in 2019 just to two people, just two people in 2019. And then we spend all of 2019 just pouring our life into these two people, just 
teaching them what the Great Commission says, teaching them to obey. So we witness to them, and then uh, kind of one of the first uh, couple baptism services here in the next year, you're up here, and you're the one dunking them, and you're the one getting the wet hug afterwards, and, and then you're just walking with them week after week, and you just pour your life into these two new believers in Jesus Christ for all of 2019. And as 2019 is coming to an end, you begin to equip them to be disciple makers. You say, here, we're going to ask God that he'd lead you in the next year to two, two more people. And in 2020, these two begin pouring their life into two more. And they witness to them, and they see two people come to know Jesus, and they, for their whole year, pour their life into them. And as that year comes to an end, they, those people equip two more people. Witness to them, make disciples of them. My question, and I'm not going to give you the answer yet, my question is 10 years Ten years down the road, ten years down the road, if we will just give ourselves to the witnessing and discipling of just two people next year, ten years down the road, how many lives are being discipled in that tenth year? 1,024 uh, 1, lives. By us just being faithful to witness to two people and disciple two people next year. In year ten, over 1,000 people will be being discipled. Um, how about in 20 years? In 20 years, if we, now get this, this is just if we multiply ourselves into two people next year and never disciple anyone else in the 20 years, but equip all of them to be disciple makers. In 20 years, how many people will, being, will be being discipled that 20th year? 1,048,576 people. You're like, what's the point? My point is Jesus' whole great commission thing of just go make disciples really will change the world. You want to see something crazy in 30 years? It's greater than 1 billion people. Jesus' whole thing of like, you know, just go, no, just go make a disciple. Just go make a disciple. In 20 years, it's a million people. So if I would ask you the question to kind of get it, because Let's be honest. We can't see 20 minutes down the road, let alone 20 years down the road. And the whole concept of our life having an impact for a million disciples, we're like, I have no framework for that. So if I would have asked you to start today, um, Lucas Oil Stadium seats 70,000 people. If I would ask you, do you believe God could use your life for the equipping of 70,000 Jesus followers? You would have laughed at that. Enough to fill Lucas Oil. Do you believe God could use your life to fill Lucas Oil Stadium with Jesus followers? You would have laughed at that. The fact of the matter is, if we will just be obedient to the great commission Jesus has called us to, in 20 years, we could fill 15 Lucas Oil. Your life and the outflow of it could fill 15 Lucas Oil Stadiums. Why wouldn't we do that? No, I really want, not, not rhetorical, not like, yeah, let's, let's pontificate on that and then go eat lunch. No. Why wouldn't we do that next year? 
Why don't when we go home right now and before we eat lunch, just go into a dark closed room and close the door, get on our knees and say, Lord Jesus, will you lead me next year to two lost people who you will call to yourself and they will become disciple makers and on and on and on it goes because Lord, I'm, I'm just, I'm just, I want to hold you to what you said you would do that if we will make disciples, I want my life to be, I want it to count for something and 20 years down the road, Lord, I want to be a part of the making of a million followers of Jesus Christ. I think it's hilarious that like these church growth conferences, come to this, become a church of 10,000 people. And Jesus is like, really? You can make a million disciples in 20 years if we will just be faithful to go do this. Is anyone in the room with me right now? Are we, all, are we just going to be good with being a church that comes on Sunday and sings some songs and uh, listens to a me- mediocre sermon and then goes home and has lunch? Are we just, I, I, like, I, I don't want to be that. I don't want that for us. I don't want that for us. I really want us to believe that this gospel can spread to the ends of the earth. That, that, that your life in 20 years could, could lead to the reaching of the greater Indianapolis area. And if Christians here will do it, and Christians in Asia will do it, and Christians in Europe will do it, and Christians in Africa will do it, the gospel will spread like wildfire. This is what we've been studying for the last 10 months. But there's been a shift somewhere in the history of the church. When the church got off of this idea of of we go and we share, we go and we share, and it became just come and attend. Come and attend. Be a part of an organization. Oh, what God could do if his people would be unleashed with the power of his spirit again. Now, I just want to give us warning because we've seen this all throughout Acts as well. If today we will say we've studied this for 10 months, I'm committed to a life of witnessing for Jesus Christ, to telling others of the good news of the hope in Jesus, I have to warn us because it's all through this book we've just studied. Um, Painful suffering is awaiting you. Third reminder of a life of witness is this. I am prepared that with faithful witness comes painful suffering. Flip one more time to Acts, Acts chapter 20. Verse 22, and I could have had us flip to any number of passages throughout the book of Acts that will show um, what it cost the followers of Jesus for their faithful witness. But I, I want to zero in on a passage that we studied just a few weeks back. As Paul is getting ready to go to Jerusalem and the Holy Spirit is testifying to him, hey, imprisonment, affliction are awaiting you. And you got people saying, like, then don't go. Then why would you go? Look at what Paul says in Acts 20, verse 22. And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, 
except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. Now here's the key. But I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course in the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And we preach that message to just say we'll never do this, we'll never live this out so long as our life is most precious to us. So long as if our self-preservation or our, self, um, our, our self-exaltation trump a desire to see the spread of the gospel, we won't ever give our lives to a life of, of faithful witness. Why? Because it'll be, met with, it'll be met with hardship. It'll be met with persecution. It will be met with inconvenience. Why? Because followers of Jesus... As exciting as it is to think about our life potentially being used by God for the making of a million disciples in 20 years, uh, there's, a, there's a reminder for us that there's an enemy opposing that. There's an enemy opposing that who doesn't want to see the spread of the gospel and doesn't want to see disciples made. And that's why a life of faithful uh, uh, witness will be met with this opposition of an enemy. We just got to be reminded that we are at war. We're at war. We're at war with an enemy who hates the advance of the gospel and who doesn't want to see disciples made. But can I remind us some things about this war? Number one is that he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. Number two, we know how the war ends. Come on now. We know how the war ends. Let that sink in. We know the end. Jesus wins. Let's go. Like, When Paul writes in a letter to the Philippians and he says, to live is Christ, to die is gain. And he goes, I win in life or death because of Jesus. I win. Let's go. But there is this reminder that we are at war. There's an enemy who will oppose this. As I was writing those words on a piece of paper this week that we're at war. It reminded me of the image. Um, Andrew Card, right? Andrew Card was uh, President Bush's chief of staff. Political people, help me. No, no one, no one wants to out themselves as a political person in church, right? Um, Andrew Card, whispering into President Bush's ear in that classroom. I think it was eleven words. A second plane hit the second tower. America is under attack. And you can YouTube the video, like as he steps back and you just see President Bush's face just pondering the reality of that, this announcement that this wasn't an error of aviation. This was the attack of an enemy. There's this stark just just moment that set in. Like I just want to remind us of something Attacks of the enemy will come if we live a life of faithful witness. Guess what? Um, The worst thing that he can do is take our life, and even in that, we win. This is what makes us absolute weirdos as Christians. 
It's the best kind of weird we could possibly be. Folks, I'm pleading with us. I'm not preaching this to you. I'm pleading with you. As someone who lives in a neighborhood and finds it so easy to just drive in from work every night. I've I've done ministry all day. I just want to go and retreat. And to shut the, you know, to time the shutting of the garage door with the car pulling in. And to time it on the way back out the next morning so that all I might have to do is give a polite wave to the neighbor who's waiting there with their kids at the school bus. And to never really get to know my neighbors at a level beyond like, hey, how are you? Like, how's your week? And didn't something happen in your job a couple weeks back? And, and then to, to, to barbecue in the backyard, the fenced-in backyard with just my family and, and the people I want to invite inside of that fence. Man, what if we just completely flipped the script and began to barbecue in the front yard? You're like, can you do that? Yes, who said you had to do it in the backyard? But we'll be weird. You're already weird as Jesus followers. Like, this is what we need to know and embrace. We're already weird. So let's start barbecuing in the front yard in December <laughs> and meeting our neighbors. Oh, the dream of what God could do is if we would become the pastors of every neighborhood that we live in. Where when neighbors' lives just hit the fan, they just show up knocking on our door at any time of the day. You're like, I don't know if I want that. I know. I'm with you in that. Let's pray and ask God to burden our hearts so that we want that. That your desk becomes this sanctuary at work in such a way that people will hear of the love of Jesus from your mouth and they experience the love of Jesus from your life. Oh, that we would get, after 10 months of the study of this book, that for the glory of God the Father, we have been given power from God the Spirit to witness about God the Son. And that we would not just be okay with 10 months of a study of greater understanding of the structure of the book of Acts. God, make us witnesses. God, make us witnesses. You've called us to it. You've given us the power for it. And my question for us, what if we all really just began? God, I pray for your power in that. Oh, Lord, would you make us doers of your word? God, would you help us in this? And Lord, even as I pray right now and just kind of slow my own heart down, I feel convicted to say that Would that discipling start right in our own homes? Would the wit? Let's not assume. Let's not assume if there are parents in the room. Let's not assume that our kids will just catch that. Would we witness the good news of the grace of Jesus to our kids? God, would we witness faithfully 
Is it an accident that you've, you've called us to live where we live? Is it an accident that you've called us to work where we work? Is it an accident that you've called us to the school we're attending? Is it an accident you've put us in the family you've put us in? Oh, God, would you give us faithfulness to tell people of Jesus? But, Lord, would you fill, would you season our words with salt in such a way that as we do, people who are hearing that gospel would feel the love dripping off of the words that we share with them. That there would, they would feel not condemned by it, but invited in by it. Lord, as we study the Gospels and we look how you invited people, Lord, you were bold, you were clear, you just said, come follow me. But it was the greatest invitation that someone could have heard. God, I pray, as we go out with the power of your Spirit, would you fill our mouths with the words of witness? Would you... Um, Enable our lives and strengthen our lives for a life of witness. And God, would we begin to reorient all of the normal things that we already do around how we can be the greatest witness of Jesus Christ as we do them. I pray for that, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, stand up. And before we sing, sorry, that was kind of direct and rude. Will you please stand up? Um. I just feel compelled to say kind of what I mentioned in the midst of the sermon earlier, that I don't want, I don't want people to feel guilted into like going and witnessing this week. I think sometimes we hear a message like this and we go, okay, now I got to add witnessing on to things. And um, I've even heard this about like our scent campaign, like a scent life. You're like, man, I go to church and I go to small group and now you want me to do scent things. No, 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 no. That's a big miss. That's a big miss. And it's a miss on my part for how I communicate sometimes as an exhorter. What this means is just as you're going in the things of life you're already doing, be a witness. Like it's not an added, it's not an added thing. I know our calendars are jam-packed. With the jam-packedness that's already there, be a witness. As you minister to aging parents and you find yourself in a nursing home every Friday evening or whatever it is, witness. And so I just, I just felt compelled to just share, like, don't see this as another thing to do. See this as woven into the fabric of the life that Jesus is, that, that he's invited us. sing some more now.